The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we review Austin FC's 2-0 road win against Sporting Kansas City. Emiliano Rigoni is officially an Austin FC player, so we'll talk to Kevin Morris about how he fits into the team, and we'll give a preview of the San Jose Earthquakes match. On top of all of that, we also have a fantastic interview for you with a guy you might have heard of. He's Austin FC's English language commentator, Adrian Healy. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. I'm coming to you from a condo somewhere in Destin, Florida, and I am joined for the very first time by Kevin Morris. How you doing, Kevin? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Kevin, you and I, we I think we started interacting, I don't know, how many years ago? Four years ago? Five years ago on Twitter, probably? A while ago. My memory for things that happen on Twitter is not particularly great, I got to say. I feel like it was like, like uh usmnt slash early days of like austin fc rumor twitter and i saw that you were based in austin and we had like exchanged some some conversations at, at certain points and you're like a person that i knew existed in austin and i like i liked your soccer takes and <laughs> it was like I, I like following this guy on twitter and then one day my neighbor ben was like hey we're gonna go over to my friend's house during COVID, he's been like bringing a TV out onto his porch to watch soccer games in his backyard. You want to come with me? Yeah, let's go. You come over and I meet Kevin there. I was like, wait, are you like Kevin Morris from Twitter, Kevin Morris? And then from then on, like we started hanging out before soccer games at Q2 and uh, the rest is history. And we like kind of um, spawned a little friendship from that. But a great kind friendship, of a, Landon. A great friendship. It is a great friendship. Yeah. I'm like, it's 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 a weird story, but I'm like very happy that it <laughs> happened that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like Twitter can be good sometimes, you know? Um and I, I think especially around Austin FC and local things and actually get to meet people and be friends with them. Um as, as like the best version of Twitter I found. Kevin is a guy who I think is a really smart soccer brain and thinks I feel like we think about soccer kind of the same way um and so I'd like been thinking like we should have Kevin on the show at some point for whatever reason and then you and I were <laughs> exchanging videos of like of uh, first Drewsi whenever we signed Dr- the rumor of, of Drewsi was happening mm-hmm. um I don't remember which of us found full matches of the Russian Premier League first, but we were sharing some videos of that. And then whenever Ragoni rumors started, you and I have been kind of sharing thoughts and and random YouTube videos of full matches of this guy. And so I was like, Kevin has watched more video of of Ragoni than anyone else I know. So this would be a great opportunity to have him on. So let's uh, let's jump into that. We can talk about Emiliano Ragoni a little bit. So Austin FC have now officially signed. 29-year-old Argentine attacker Emiliano Rigoni to a designated player contract. This contract is, uh, it's its a reported transfer fee of $4 million and the contract is guaranteed through 2024 with options in 25 and 26. So we've talked about him a little bit on the show, but in, in your eyes, Kevin, what kind of player is Rigoni? Um... What kind of player isn't he, I guess, is a better question. I, like, Rigoni is really, really good. Um, he's he's talented as an attacker. 
Um, I can't really think of anything he doesn't do well. He's got a great shot. Uh, he can beat people on the dribble, um, which, you know, is something that has been discussed a lot is something that's lacking for Austin. Um, he can score with his head. He can hit a great volley. Um, he makes good runs off the ball. Um, but he also, you know, like with, with Carozo, um, there's some question about, you know, how well he reads the game and combines with other players. He's fast and he can dribble people and he can beat people and he can hit a good cross. None of that with Rigoni, right? Um, he can combine really well. Um, he reads plays fantastically. Um, you, you can see him kind of mapping out plays in his head, um, kind of like Triusi does, uh, thinking a few steps ahead. Um, so his pedigree and like his raw talent and athleticism is really, really good. Um, and I would probably, you know, put him up there. Um, it, like on our team, only Triusi would compare to Rigoni. Yeah. As far as like raw talent, I, I agree with you. And yeah. one thing I would add to that checklist is that he can do a lot of that stuff with both feet. So yes. he crosses well with both feet. He strikes the ball really well with both feet to, to a degree where like I, I'm honestly not sure I know which is his strongest foot. No, I've watched a lot of video of him um, and I keep trying to figure out which foot is his dominant foot and I cannot figure it out. <laughs> yeah cuz when he takes shots he like he he'll do it kind of like pretty freely with both both sides and hits the ball seemingly equally well with both sides. So um yeah, as far as raw talent goes, he is undeniably really really gifted. So looking at his past, he hasn't always performed everywhere he's gone. He's had some up and down seasons even with the same team with Sao Paulo. He had a great season in 21 and then this year has not been uh, performing quite as well. So like, what do you think, like, why has he underperformed at certain points of his career? Is it just inconsistency or are there certain things, like certain circumstances that he's found himself in that have led to that? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not um, only Coney and the, the people close to him and people that have actually followed his career game by game over 10 years really know the answers to all of that. And I definitely haven't done that. I've watched as many full games of him playing as I can. And I've dove into the stats as much as I can. Um, and I think it's a, it's a mixture of different things. First of all, I think that we have to um, first kind of question ourselves of what we mean by inconsistency. Um, all players go through hot periods and dry periods or most players do. Um, players that are really consistent constantly over time are the very, very best players. Um, and so he's not that. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily expect most players to hit that level. Um, if you look at his actual production, so um, I think when you look at a player's appearances and like their goals and assists, um, there's a few things that can kind of distract you from like the real meaning in those numbers. Um, one of those is appearances to goal. So he's made a lot of appearances throughout his, throughout his career, but he's played a lot of sub minutes. Um, and so his actual goals and assist contributions over the course of his career are really quite good. Um, there's a number that you can look up, um, on FB ref and other, other statistics sites, um, that is the, um, 
the goals and assists uh, over an average 90 minute game, like how many goals and assists does a player contribute over an average 90 minute game? And uh, you can actually filter out minus penalty kicks and so not even including penalty kicks, um, which is a, you know, a fluff stat. And Rigoni's at 0.43. So that means that about every other game throughout his entire career, including um, the supposed bad spells, like all of that time, he is still contributing on average a goal or assist close to every other game. Um, and that's if you compare, really quite good too. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Um, I mean, that's the kind of numbers you want. I mean, I you know, I don't think we expect our wingers to be putting up insane numbers. I mean, I think we all thought Cecilio had a pretty good season last year. He led the team in goals, right? Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't an all-star, but he contributed significantly, um, over the course of Cecilio's career, he's at 0.38, um, Jordan Morris, who's like, a, most would consider a top winger in the league, uh, over the course of his career, he's at 0.54. So, I mean, it, it, over the course of Ragoni's career, um, he has contributed goals and assists. He's played a lot of sub minutes. Um, also, I mean, it doesn't mean that he didn't have down periods. Um, when he played in La Liga, um, that was a bad loan. That was a really bad loan. I think he had a goal and an assist. Um, but I think that there's also other things going on um, with some of his loans. Um, so first of all, I mean, just the, the entire situation at Zenit probably was the wrong choice for him as a career yeah it's it seems like it was pretty tumultuous as far as he got was it just one full season there and then was loaned out three seasons in a row and was playing like partial seasons at zenit partial seasons in italy or spain and so i don't see how you're ever going to build any kind of consistent performance whenever you're doing that yeah pretty much i mean he started at zenit really well when he started he actually like you know uh he lit like the europa league on fire he had crazy uh, goal contributions and assists he scored a hat trick against rosenborg i think um Drusi started that game too um they played great um he had he had a bit of a down period and then got loaned out to atalanta and then in his first uh, few games for atalanta in this Serie A, he absolutely killed it he scored a brace against roma um scored another goal against can't remember i think it was a big team um but um there he had a conflict with the the coach a famously like difficult manager gasparini um, a guy that when I was looking it up was described as a brute, um, and how he handled the situation, uh, with Rigoni. So he, you know, it, it's been a mix like it is for anybody. Um, he's had kind of like the natural ups and downs, but then he's also had a couple of bad situations with managers. And in La Liga, he was playing with a, a pretty team. I think, um, they barely survived relegation I, I don't know how to pronounce it Elche Elche yeah Elche okay um and that was a team that like I mean their top score, goal scorer that season had seven goals so <laughs> he, he had a goal and assist and the top goal scorer had seven goals um so it, it's not like it, he it's not like he was on a killer team um and and was flying he was in a really difficult situation there and then he went to Sao Paulo 
Sao Paulo did great, new manager. Um, we watched those Sao Paulo games, Landon. That is not a great team, um, not a fun team to watch. And I can't imagine a fun team to play a lot of times striker for, which is not even his best position by far. And I mean, just another thing really quick, like that is another thing with Rigoni. He keeps getting put into play striker. He can play that's, that position. That's not his position. That's what I wanted to bring up was that in several of these places, he seems to be played out of position, not only at striker, but in, I don't remember if it was Atalanta or Sampdoria, but one of the Italian teams, they played kind of like a 3-4-2-1. And he was playing as one of those those withdrawn forwards, like the line of two, as like an attacking midfielder playing in the pocket, which he can do. He was okay at it, but I just – this guy needs to be on the wing. Like he needs yeah. to be on the wing. You you sent me yesterday or today um, a full match at Zenit where he and Jerusi both played most of the game together. He started that game up top. Mm-hmm. And then at halftime, they made some subs and he moved to left wing back in like a three, four, three kind of. And still like playing, he needs to be further up, I think. But still, whenever they were getting forward and he got on the ball, he like came alive and just like looked like this is where he's supposed to be. Get yeah, in there and then instantly better in like in and around the box, like near other players. And that's where he seems to be really good. And it doesn't look like from what footage I've seen anyway, it doesn't look like he's hardly ever in that position. It's almost always at striker either by himself or with another striker or playing in some weird system that like just put him on the wing, give him the ball and let him do magic. And that was never the case. Yeah. When you see him getting <clears throat> consistent starts for Zenit and consistently playing on, on the wing, I think it was the 2019, 2020 season. He actually had a really good spell for them where he's contributing goals and assists at a really good clip. Um, yeah. I think it was, uh, yeah. Uh, 2019, 2020 um, contributing really good goals and assists. Um, and then I think that the it was the, the Sampdoria loan, loan was like looming or something, or he just fell out of favor and he just stops getting a lot of minutes. So his reward for a lot of goal contributions and playing well was to get on the, you know, to be moved to the bench and loaned out again. Um, and I can only imagine that that's pretty exhausting, you know, mentally for a player who, by the way, is living in Russia, which um, from interviews he had, he pretty clearly wanted to to leave Russia behind. Um, but it doesn't mean he's a perfect player, right? And, um, you know, I think that w- there are things that we have to worry about with him, um, like any player. Nobody's perfect, um, but his, like, you know, from an attacking perspective, they're like, he's an immediate upgrade um, on certainly Ethan Finley um, on the right wing, who is having a great season. Yeah. So like, I guess ultimately, like we see him, you see him as the starting right winger in Austin at the point in time when he finally makes it here. Is that, uh, is that what we expect to see? I, yeah. I mean, I would assume so. I mean, I think that Diego kind of owns the left wing. Um, I think that Finley has um almost surpassed my own expectations for him this season um his his 
play and his goal contributions, his assists um, are really like adding up significantly to the point where that stat I, I gave earlier, I mean, he's probably pretty high up there um, for minutes this season, especially. Um, but man, Ragoni's a better player than Finlay. I mean, like talk about Ragoni's pedigree. You know, he played for the best team in Russia and like playing for the best team in Russia is not like playing for the best team in MLS. That's like the team that gets all the best Russian players go there. And then they also have like $20 million to buy Malcolm from Barcelona. Like that's the team he's playing on in Russia. He plays for Atalanta. He plays in La Liga. Um, there's not another player on the team that, that, except for Chiriusi that could play for um, clubs of that stature. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, he should be the starter. I think that we have to worry about his um, his ability to fit into the system, especially, I think, um, you know, positional play um, it requires a really specific understanding of, of tactics um, and positional awareness. Um, I'm a little bit worried about how, how he will do, especially um, uh, in transitional defense and counter-pressing. Um, that is something that actually I, I thought Cecilio was pretty good at. Um, I'm not sure about Rigoni. I don't know if he has that engine like Fagundes has, you know, or Aruti has, where they're just charging around the field all game. I don't know that I've seen that from um, Rigoni. And he also, I, I mean, one thing I have definitely seen is Rigoni losing the ball and not um, chasing after not counter pressing. Yeah. I, one thing that I've noticed is somebody asked me the other day, like, what is Rigoni's work rate? Like, like, does, is he going to track back and defend? And my answer was like, I think he'll do, he'll do what is asked of him, but he's not a guy who like wants <laughs> to that. do that stuff yeah. necessarily. But I think like, I don't think this team will let him get away with not doing that. Right. Like, like Josh Wolf is going to expect it of him. We're doing really well without him right now. So it's not like he's coming in and he's going to have all the leverage in the world to say like, no, no, we're going to play the way I want to play. He's like, no, we've been fine without you. If you're not going to do this, sit on the bench. Ethan Finley will start. Washington Garoso will start. Like we've got other options. So like, unless you do this, I'm not going to play you. And Wolf has those cards in his hand right now. Yeah, and I mean, that's why we as fans can just be excited about Rigoni joining, right? I mean, the, the worst thing that happens is that he doesn't contribute much and we're, you know, keep performing at the second in, in the West pace that we are right now, right? I mean, we're a good team and we're performing really well. The best case scenario is that he levels us up and is um, just an incredible and exciting player. And he certainly has that potential. Um, yeah, so I, I'm very excited about him, um, with all the caveats in mind. One thing that like does make me, I guess not nervous, but just a little bit disappointed in it all is we've been told and have, we've heard that it's, it might be a week or two before he's even in the country. And so we get him in the country. I don't know if there's still quarantine periods or anything like that at all. And then he starts training, gets worked into the team we're running out of games. I think we have 11 games left in the regular season. Is that yeah. right? So the timeline for him to actually get integrated in the team to the point where he would be starting is getting pretty narrow. That being said, if we can get him up to speed to be a viable option for playoff games, <laughs> it's still worth having him in the team right now. So um, it could still very well pay off for Austin to 
be leveling up like this, even if it is late, it could still pay off. Yeah. yeah gotta, I, oh, sorry. Oh, no, mind. I was going to say, no, it's, I mean, it's got to be a longer term play, too. I mean, we, you know, right. we, he's, he's on a four year deal. Like we didn't just sign him to give us seven or eight like good matches near the end of the year. It feels like a move. And didn't. um, Wasn't he a target? Hasn't he been a target before? It's like this is somebody that Austin has had on on the radar as is, is somebody we wanted to bring in. So I feel like if we whatever we get out of him this year is a little bit of a bonus, especially because the system is something you have to learn to play. Um, and this is really a like 23, 24 kind of move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he is 29 and turns 30 like early next year, I think January or February. So we're looking at the end of that four year period. He'll be 33, which is about um, as somebody who has been 33 and played soccer. Um, you know, uh, that's that's about when we want that deal to end. <laughs> um, one other thing talking about like not fitting with with certain teams and maybe having like butting heads with managers at times i could see that being like a concerning thing but even at sao paulo right now his manager although he's not been playing him all the time not been starting him all the time openly said that he was upset about the fact that sao paulo were shopping him and it was like, I think this guy's still really good. I think he'll turn it around. I would love to keep him. I understand the financial situation of the club might warrant that we do have to sell him. Hopefully, if we sell him, we get some good money for him. But I want to see see him here. And so it doesn't seem like his attitude was ever bad in Sao Paulo, even though his form had dipped. Um, Drusi vouched for him, essentially. And like, I mean, if, if Drusi says the guy can play on our team, then... I believe it. Like, I'll trust that man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen anybody say that he had a bad attitude or was bad in training. And I mean, I think the stuff with Gasparini at Atlanta probably had to do with the manager more than the player. Um, you know, it, I, I mean, that, that's supposing a lot of information that I don't actually have access to. So um, I, I'm, I'm kind of making up that a little bit. Um, but just just what I have read about Rigoni himself, it doesn't seem like he he causes a lot of conflicts in the rock, locker room or has a really big ego. Um, it sounds like he just really struggled with that specific man, manager and that specific system. And that manager is famous for being that way. Yeah, as we said on a previous show, he's not the lead singer; he's the octopad player. So he, he doesn't <laughs> exactly. he doesn't need to be the ego. All well, right, we do well, have to. Sorry, we do have to worry about him joining a band when he's here, though. <laughs> we have to watch out for that. He has. He's going to ask the week off for South by so he can play <laughs> twenty five shows that week. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we we found an excuse to get you on. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Thank you, guys. Had a lot of fun. All right, Jeremiah, we have a game to recap. So Austin FC toughed out a 2-0 win in Kansas City the other night. This was a little bit of a strange game. Um, it like Austin felt like they were dominant at points in the game, and then at points in the game where maybe they should have been dominant, they didn't look like they were, and it just felt closer. Like the game was closer than it felt like it should have been for most of it. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think the the sort of the uneven pace of the game, which we'll get into due to the officiating, probably had some amount of something to do with it. Um, but yeah, it was just a strange performance all the way around. There's 
goals that came back. There was, uh, you know, a worse uh, performance by a keeper than we saw from Andrew Tarbell last week. There's a red card. There was, yeah, it was just kind of a mess all the way around, which led to, um, it's okay. Like Austin picked up the win at the end of the day. That's all that really matters. But I don't think anybody felt like it was a beautiful soccer at all. Yeah, and like it, it's just it comes down to what Austin has proven time and time again that they're capable of doing, which is just finding a way to win it, like making it happen. And that's an amazing trait of a team. But like like you said, there were four. It was four, right? Four goals brought back for offside calls, three times in the first twenty three minutes, which is insane. Like it, that's why it felt like in in that period. SKC really wasn't threatening us at all. They had a lot of the ball, but it wasn't in dangerous areas at all. And so the fact that it was we were one nil up in like the 60th minute, and they were a man down, and it looked like they were like running through us pretty much. Like I was like, where did this game come from? How is it like this right now? Um, but those those four goals. So the first one was Maxi Ruti, Cascante uh, and Pereira take the ball off of. SKC in the midfield, Danny splits lines to Aruti's feet. He crosses up Isimot Marine and puts in a beautiful shot to the top corner. That would have been like probably my favorite goal of the Austin FC season had that one stood. Uh, but it was Aruti was offside when he received the ball. So I think that one fairly called off. Uh, in the 19th minute, um, Ring plays Aruti and Finley. <laughs> In like a through ball into the penalty box, Finley shoots far post, uh, and Diego slides in to knock it in. Uh, and that one, Ring, Finley, and Ru- sorry, Aruti, Finley, and Diego were all offside whenever Ring played that pass. So again, fairly taken off. Then twenty third minute, Juicy uh, plays a really nice ball over the top to Finley. Finley does this really clever little move where the ball bounces up, and he just kind of heads it behind Ben Sweat. And then pushes the ball past him and just outruns him and gets um, gets one on one with the keeper. Finishes the play really well, but he didn't quite bend his run enough in the lead up there and was just offside. Yeah, I kind of forgot about Austin FC legend Ben Sweat until seeing him again in this performance. I mean, I guess it's good to see him like on the field and playing. But, yeah, uh, you 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 feel like all. I mean, just like this is sort of the inverse of last week, but just like all the Red Bulls goals. We're offside. Like there was not a lot of question around these Austin ones, right? They were saw clearly like balls in the back of the net that shouldn't have counted. I think the fourth one was maybe the most questionable one. And with the Finley one, like there wasn't a great angle there. I think he probably was offside. There wasn't a great angle, but they gave that one on the field. And so I don't think you overturn that one, even if the the replay isn't uh isn't enough evidence there. But the fourth one, which comes in the 67th minute, it was a really nice passing sequence. It ends with Ethan Finley with the ball in the box. He takes a shot. Uh, Pulse camp, the keeper, blocks it, and it falls to Fagundes, who is crashing the backside. And it, so Fagundes and Uruti were both crash, crashing the back post there. Uruti was three or four yards offside, but didn't interfere in the play, didn't get anywhere close to the keeper. So I don't think he would have mattered. Fagundes is maybe just like a few inches offside. They did not give it in the moment. It went to VAR. I was thinking when they were reviewing this one that like on the angle, like 
Is he offside? Like probably, but I didn't. I didn't think the angle was sufficient evidence to overturn that one. So I was actually a little surprised when they turned that one. And this this one was so it's already one nil at that point, right? Is this after? Uh, that's goal, after the first goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ring goals in the first half. Um, yeah, I. I think Diego said what he was off by hit the like his toes or something. I saw this quote today. So I mean, it, it was really tight. I get. I guess to your point, the fact that it came back is probably a little bit surprising. Um, it's one of those where if it had gone, you expect it to go the way it's called on the field and right. that did not happen. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's why that one surprised me. But th- another weird thing about this game is you referenced before is the yellow card. So there were six yellow cards in the first half, uh, two of them to the same player. To me, it seemed like a lot of these were probably not warranted. Do you feel like this ref was card happy? He, I do, he do feel like he was card happy, and I, I think, and then like, but just in the first half, right? Like when there's yeah. six in the first <laughs> half, and then all of a sudden it was like a whole different game, um, and there was only one in the second half, which I think uh, Ben Sweat picked up. But yeah, it was a strangely officiated game. I think I, I think I read somewhere online that he does tend to be a bit card happy in general, and definitely it bored itself out on Saturday night. Yeah, so Cam Duke, a young player for Kansas City, he's the one who gets the red card. Uh, I think it was in the right at the end of the first half, right? It's 43rd minute is when he got his second yellow. Okay. Yep. So his first one was just a minute or two before then. I feel like the first one was the second one was deserved. Like that was an undeniable yellow. The first one was maybe a little bit soft. As Cam Duke is walking off the field, all of the Austin FC coaches are like patting him on the butt and and like essentially saying like keep your head up, kid. That could have very easily been us. And like Josh Wolf knew that. As soon as the whistle blows, like you see guys warming up for both teams. Josh Wolf pulls off Cascante, pulls off Pereira because they were two of those yellow cards. And it just I, I like I think that was the absolute right move because it just seemed like like I said, like Cam Duke was just, it was just his turn. Like the next second yellow was coming right after that. And it could have been anybody. And so to pull those two guys off who like, I mean, a center back is prone to get like in situations to get yellow cards pretty regularly. And then Danny Pereira is Danny Pereira and is prone to getting yellow cards. And so, yeah, get those guys off. For sure. And the, yeah, the Josh Wolf, Josh Wolf quote after the game was we had to make those changes based on what the ref looked like. I mean, there's no sense playing Russian roulette when the next call could be a second yellow. So he very specifically uh, acknowledged that point and called out that that move in the postgame press conference. So we we kind of skipped the first goal before, but there are three really like well-played, beautiful goals that all get called back in the first 23 minutes. And then the first one that counts is maybe the ugliest goal we've scored all season. <laughs> uh in the like the in in extra t- like stoppage time in the first half, uh, we get the ball into the box. It kind of gets recycled back out to Drusy. Drops it back out to Gallagher. He drops it over to Ring. Nobody steps to Ring, so he just pushes forward and takes a crack at it. And it's like a worm burner. It's like on the ground, right at Pulse Camp. He drops and does one of those where you like put your arms on the ground and kind of like bring it in like you're like a like a baseball kind of and then drop on it and it just goes right between his hands and then right between his legs and into the goal and like Alex Ring looked pretty sheepish on it like he didn't want to celebrate too (laughs) hard and was like kind of laughing like 
I can't believe that just went in. Yeah, it was one of the so this is the the shot was up zero point zero three at X goal, and it was not the Sebastian Driussi, you know, making a magical finish out of nowhere kind of like low uh, X goal shot. It was just it was what it was. As a former little league catcher, I've had that 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 moment those moments many times when I thought a ball was going to end up on my chest, and then I turned around to see it at the backstop with people now runners rounding the bases. So I, <laughs> I, I, I feel. I feel for the keeper there, but yeah, of all the things to happen for, for us to pick up our first goal. And like you mentioned was sort of the way Austin played in the, in the first half. It was just, I guess it was fitting in the weirdness of the game, but it was not what you expected to see. It was also probably a pretty smart thing to do by ring at that point. I mean, we know, we know ring will take that shot, but in this game specifically, like if you just get a shot on frame, this keeper has already shown a couple of times in this game that he'll spill a ball. Like, even before this one goes through his legs, the the I think the one that Diego scored, the last goal that got called off before then, the third one, um, Pulse Camp spills it and it falls into Diego's path and he he finishes it. So like in this game, in this moment, yeah, put shots on goal, like make this guy save balls and maybe you can get a second, like a rebound and score off of him at some point. It, it, that's not what ended up happening, but I think the the idea is still good there. Um, Brad Stuver in the 63rd minute ends up saving a penalty. So a handball was correctly given against Felipe. This one was not called in the moment. Um, it goes to VAR. I was like hoping maybe they were going to say it was like too close, but it wasn't that close. <laughs> it was pretty was clear. It was pretty st- clear sticking up. So like, I was not surprised at all that they gave it, but Stuver guesses the right way and saves the ball uh, off of Shallowy's shot. So he's now four for eight in career penalty kicks. Um, two of them against Chicharito, and then one of them was against Shallowy the other night. And so in the post game press conference, I was watching in uh, I was in southeastern Oklahoma with my wife's family in this little cabin in the woods out there, and when you're watching soccer games with people who don't know a lot about soccer, you get like a lot of questions usually. And sometimes you get questions that like are actually really good questions that you kind of take for granted as someone who watches soccer all the time. And someone said on these penalty kicks, is the goalkeeper just guessing or did he read something into that, that like he, he dove one way or the other, or is it just luck? And I thought about it for the second, and I was like, the answer is all of those things. Like, it's all of those. And, and Brad Stuver in the post-game press conference confirmed that. He said, it's about, like, a 30% educated guess. It's 30%, like, um, picking the right spot. And so you have to, like, dive at the right height. Uh, so are you going to go low? Or are you going to go a little bit higher so you can save a higher shot? And then, like, 30% just kind of, like, look. And so he gave credit to Preston Burpo, the goalkeeper coach for um, like preparing him. And so he had notes on probably Daniel Shallowy. I would imagine on Johnny Russell and maybe a couple of other players, like guys you would expect to maybe take penalty kicks. And so he was prepared for it. He picked the right direction. And then uh, in, when he was in the moment and the ball was coming the right way, he did well to, to parry the ball away. So it is a little bit luck, but also like, they prepare for this. They study these things. 
Yeah, and it's you know it's at least the second time we've heard this year. Well, maybe the third time this year we've heard Preston Burpo get specifically uh, credit for something after the game. Like that, the guy's a lot of knowledge, and it, I, he was really good when we had him on last year. But I think there was we were talking about how much better we are on set pieces. And I think that was somebody gave a, a credit to Preston Burpo on that earlier. There was this one. Oh, there was just a generally when Josh was out, like the role that he took. So you know, it's um. Assistant coaches mean a lot, and they probably don't get enough credit for what, they, what they're able to do and how they're able to prepare players. Yeah, so Brad Stuver, overall, his performance in that game was really good. There's quite a few like pretty tricky saves that he made look really easy that if Andrew Tarbell or any other keeper were in goal, I would have been pretty nervous, and he just made them look super easy. So um, really great performance by him. Another guy who had a great performance was Sebastian Driussi, which is becoming a, a very normal <laughs> thing <Shocker>. now. <laughs> uh, so in the 90th minute, Driussi is driving upfield. He finds Fagundes infield from him. He's, I don't know if you noticed this. He's like kind of motioning at, uh, at Owen Wolf. I did notice Wolf that. is kind of like making a run in front of Driussi, but a, a defender was following Driussi on the ball. And so Driussi was pointing back to his right, like, telling Wolf, like, no, drop into that space. You're more useful here. And Owen doesn't do it. And so he realizes Diego is open over there. So he plays it a little bit further into Diego and then continues a run uh, upfield and just kind of, like, puts like starts on a beeline into the box. And so Diego does this thing that he he does fairly often and just runs right at the defenders and essentially says, like, you make a decision. You're going to decide what I do next, essentially. And if you, like in those moments, if you lay off of him, he'll take a shot. And if you commit, he's already looking out for a pass. In in the moments where he's going to lay off a pass, he needs an option. And Driussi sees that two touches ahead. And so as soon as he plays that ball, he makes a beeline into the box, gives Diego an option. Uh, as soon as Isimot Marine kind of commits over, he plays that ball in. Driussi takes a really classy touch. To, to control it with his first touch and then puts a calm finish past Pulse Camp and and finally puts that that final nail in the coffin. Yeah, yeah, because, man, we didn't talk about the sort of the emotions of the moment, but when Austin was up 1-0 and the shallow, he had the the penalty, I was like, man, if we if we end up drawing this game with everything yeah, that's gone, that would, that would have been awful. So, yes, it, it made things a lot more pleasant whenever Jersey finally sort of closed closed the door uh, on this match and did the things that only he can do. Yeah, so he was named to the MLS team of the week for a ninth time, which is the most in the league. He's now by all the MLS pundits the favorite to win MVP for the league. He has 14 goals, 7 assists, which is the most goal contributions in the league. He's leading the Golden Boot race with 14. He's just been amazing. And I think a lot of what makes him so good is his movement and his intelligence. And so I would encourage any any listeners to take a little stretch of the next game and just watch Sebastian Drusi. Not when he's on the ball. Watch him what he's doing after he plays a pass. He'll play a pass, and then what he does then, I think, is one of the most fascinating things about his game. He's constantly surveying the field. He's playing two steps ahead. So when he makes a pass, he'll get on his horse to be in a position that's that's the most dangerous position two or three passes from now. 
Um, he makes better runs than most strikers. Certainly, any striker on our team, maybe Maxi Ruti could could uh, rival him there. But just like really clever, deceptive runs that that he can surprise defenders with. And even if the ball doesn't come to him in those moments, the the defense still has to reckon with the possibility that the ball might come to him. And so he opens up space for other people by by making those runs and he does them with conviction. Like he's never like half-heartedly making a run. He does, he runs hard all the time. And so like, is he a physically gifted player? Yeah. He's, he's very talented. Like he's just the skill that is in his body is, is immense, but that's only half the story as to what makes him so special. I think just the, the mental side of his game and, um, his intelligence on the field is really what makes him so special. Yeah. He's at the point now where he's being recognized and people are, people are going to have to plan around him, which just should open up other opportunities um, for the rest of the club. So, so he's team of the week, but he was not uh Austin FC man of the match, which somehow went to Owen Wolf. I was, had a good game, but I mean, what did you think about that? I was perplexed by that. I do not understand that at all. It was like, Owen only played in the second half, which was... He had a great 32 minutes. Was, like, probably the worst part of the game for us. <laughs> and he was good. He was really good. He, like, uh, I think defensively especially, he was, like, bullying grown men at times and, like, taking the ball off of him. He got into some good positions, made some good little passes, but, like, I do not understand why he was man of the match necessarily. I, I don't get it, but whatever. Good for him. <laughs> Maybe they're just tired of giving it to Drew Yusey. I don't. I don't know. But I was really surprised when I saw that. I feel like there could have been um, other players who got that. I thought uh, John Gallagher had another pretty good oh, game man. too. Oh man, John Gallagher was great. Like he's he's just been so good. I, I think he's our best fullback on the team. Um, Nick Lima had had a good game, and I think he's had a, f- a few good games over the last little stretch now when he had a, a dip in form. But Gallagher has just not really been bad most of the time, and. Um, like defensively, I mean, he had Johnny Russell on for the first half. Russell didn't really do much against him. There are several moments where Kansas City w- was in a dangerous spot and Gallagher would poke the ball away or chase a guy down and body him off the ball or just things like that. And then in possession, I've seen people criticize his offensive ability and saying that like, I think they're used to seeing Kolmanich get up on that left-hand side and whip those crosses in. And Kolmanich is very good at that, but we're not playing that way anymore. Like even if Kolmanich were is in, he's not really doing that same thing. And so the way that we're using our fullbacks, I think it's better suited to Gallagher or at least the way he's playing this year. And so he's really like a safe pair of hands. He doesn't give the ball away very often. He does a good job. He's being more used in the buildup and less in what uh, like what a coach would call the finishing shapes. Like when you get into position around our box, like those fullbacks aren't the ones getting in behind and, and getting into the, the end line most of the time. He's playing more like a midfielder in that in those moments and has been really good at just kind of keeping the ball moving and getting it to the guys who are going to make those runs, who are, are going to make those incisive passes. And like... I think he could like he could be better offensively, but he's not been bad and he's not hurting us. I don't think. I mean, he and he's 
to, to what you said, he's just doing exactly what he's being asked to do. Yeah. You know, so he's 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 contributing the way that, that Josh is expecting him to contribute. So he's been really strong. And I know I've seen some calls for the Kulmanich and Gallagher uh, pairing at fullback, which I assume we will have to see at some point just due to due to numbers. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, we, we you're right. I think we may see that at some point in the future. Hopefully it's not because of injuries or suspensions or whatever, because that would make me very nervous. But um, he's been great. And yeah, it makes me happy. <laughs> so Austin FC now have the best away record in the league, and I think have for a couple of games now. But they're 8-3-2. and two. I think the next most wins is LAFC with six road wins. Um, I So it's 11 games left. We have seven games at home, four games on the road. Is it is it dumb to think that it's a bad thing that we have more home games? <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> the points per game is definitely better on the road than at home so far. So hopefully Austin will figure that out. If for no other reason than the fact that Austin is very looks really like they're going to head toward a home first round playoff match. And I think everybody, nobody wants to see a one you know, one game run in the playoffs. So hopefully Austin finds a way to turn it around um, at home. But yeah, they do seem to, whatever this style of play is, it seems to sort of defy um, your usual home versus road logic. All right. Well, I think we have said all we need to say about the Kansas City game. We should take a break here. We're going to come back and we have uh, the preview of the San Jose match. We also have a fantastic interview with Adrian Healy. Um, He talks about the new MLS TV deal. He talks about the art of broadcasting. He talks about guys he looks up to. We talk about music. We talk about all kinds of stuff. But Adrian's a great dude. Y'all are really going to enjoy this interview. So hang tight. We'll be right back with more Munchausen. Jeremiah, there is a lot going on in Austin. There's a lot going on in Texas. There's a lot going on in the country. Sometimes I wish that there was one quick place to get all the news that I need for the day. Do you know where I can get that? Would you like that news to deliver to you uh, in short form between six and 10 minutes long? I absolutely would. Well, that is amazing. Then you should check out the Austin Daily Drop, which is brought to you by longtime Austin broadcasting veteran Chris Mosier. What can I get from the Austin Daily Drop, Jeremiah? Well, you can get a summary of... Well, so we, every week we do this ad, and we talk <laughs> about the types of things you might get. But this week, I decided to actually go through the episodes and like talk about the things you would actually get. So had you listened to the Daily Drop over the last week, you would hear a lot about the heat wave. You'd hear a lot about the electrical grid. You'd hear a lot about uh, the situation of Uvalde and all the things that have come out since then. And uh, you would hear a lot about... Uh, sort of just spread of misinformation in general. So I feel like that's sort of a summary of everything that's going on in Austin and the world. Yeah, so you can listen to the Austin Daily Drop Monday through Friday, usually out pretty early in the morning, usually about 8 to 10 minutes long. Uh, It's a quick, easy, and reliable way to get up to speed about everything that's happening in Austin that you need to know. If you give Chris 10 minutes, he'll give you Austin. All right, and we are doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. Go to MoontowerSoccer.com, click on free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or you can go to the show notes of this episode that you're listening to right now, click on the link and fill out the form. This is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, 
you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. All right, we are back, Jeremiah. We are uh, running a little long on this show, so I think we'll keep this San Jose preview a little short. A, for time, but also B, I feel like preparing for San Jose is kind of a fool's errand. It is, and I believe this will be the fifth time in Austin's history that we played San Jose already, because I think that was one of the three uh, team matches last season. So I feel like we've said everything about sort of San Jose's background and style of play and what to expect that we could possibly say at all. So right now they sit 13th in the West. Ahead of Sporting KC, they are negative nine on goal differential. Yeah, they're not particularly strong form of late. They've had a draw, two losses. They beat the Galaxy uh, four matches back, so they're kind of they're kind of up and down a little bit, mostly down as we've seen. But they're you know never a dull moment and um, shouldn't be looked past. But this seems like the kind of match that Austin should win. Yeah, I mean it really does. San Jose is pure chaos. We should beat them, but they do have some players that we need to watch out for. Uh, Christian Espinosa has. Um, six goals and eight assists. Jamiro Montero has three goals and seven assists. And then Jeremy Abovesi has 12 goals this year. So they have some guys who have still been putting up pretty good numbers. So they've also given up a lot of goals. So if we can turn this one into a shootout, like fine, whatever. Like I think if we're scoring goals, we'll be okay, but we do need to be careful and not let this one turn into a San Jose game. We need this to be an Austin game. Well, and for example, you know, back in April, Austin scored two goals to take a 2-0 lead and then managed to give both of those back, which is, I think, at this point in time, a 2-2 draw against San Jose at Q2 would be a disappointing outcome for almost every, if not every single Austin FC fan. Right, and like that scenario has proven to be an anomaly. If anything, we go down and then get the goals back. But um, but yeah, we just need to like not let this match devolve into chaos and i think austin should be okay um anything else we need to say about san jose no i think that's that's probably it expect expect a san jose outcome okay it's supposed to be hot still there's a chance of storms uh but it's an 8 p.m start instead of that crazy 731 a couple of weeks ago so hopefully it won't be too killer and the sun won't be so high whenever the game starts um hydrate before go over to hop squad or to Oscar Blues wherever and get some hydration before the game and hopefully we get a good result. All right. Uh, I think we should move into our interview with Adrian Healy. So Adrian, we've gotten to, uh, to know him a little bit over the last year or so. He's a great guy, uh, really smart guy when it comes to um, soccer broadcasting and broadcasting in general. So uh, we really enjoyed this interview and we'll think you'll like it too. I ain't got no time all right we are thrilled to be joined by austin fc's english language tv commentator adrian healy adrian thanks so much for joining us man hey how you doing landon jeremiah great to be great to be with you guys i feel i feel like we're uh, 
in, in, in some sort of sense, we're a rock band because we did a couple of live shows, <laughs> but, we've, but we've never never actually recorded anything before. So this is great. Finally putting out the yeah, studio I, album. Yeah, that's right. I think we're probably about a year from out from the that the first live show that we did uh, at the W Hotel, which was like their first live event since the pandemic. But I think that was July of last year where you had a room full of people uh, in Landon and Trevor from CBS and I explaining the offside rule to people who maybe weren't <laughs> super familiar with it. I've got that video somewhere. Maybe I'll link it. <laughs> I that still, was that was quite that was quite the explanation moving bodies around the uh, the ballroom floor there or whatever the room was. I, I stumbled but, across. And then we did a brewery. We did we did a brewery as well, didn't we? Yeah, I stumbled across a photo of that of us like explaining the offside thing. I don't remember who posted that or where it was from, but uh, it was it looked ridiculous <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> well, Adrian, last time I saw you in person, it was uh, not the most recent home game at Q two, but the one before that, which was nationally televised. Uh, and you were off duty, a rare off duty night, and you got to just go and be a fan. What is what is that experience like for you when you get just get to just go hang out at Q two? I honestly, I honestly just love it so much. I really do. I mean, I love, I love my job, and I love commentating. Don't get me wrong, I love everything about it. But but when when the national guys come in and, uh, and give us a night off, particularly for the home games, it's it's really really special. And and, and actually, at that in that Houston game, I had. Um, some very old dear friends of mine from back back up in the in the northeast who were traveling around Texas. Um, uh, my, my my good friend Eric, who's a, he's a massive Revolution fan, he's been a Revs fan since since day one, and he was even wearing his red shirts. But he came and did a, a Texas triangle. He did the he did the Houston Dallas game. He did the Austin Houston game. Then he went up to Dallas to do the Dallas Austin game. So he, he he saw three Texas derbies in a week. He built a, built a trip around it, and and he. He was just blown away by Q2 Stadium. He's been to 20 stadiums now in the in the in the, in the country, and and Q2 is is his new number one by by a wide margin. So um, so yes, love those nights off, um, especially when you get to see him play well and win like that. So you've been in the commentating game for for a good while now. What do you think makes a good commentator and and do you have any favorites like any guys that you look to that you think like man this guy's really good oh my god <laughs> that is how long we got no honestly it, it's it's um I, well I'll, I'll tackle the second part of that first i my, i have a very good friend who's is a name that you all know who's uh is ian dark and i i, I respect him so much as uh as a commentator, I've uh, worked alongside him, learned a lot from him. It's it's very unusual in a profession when we're actually doing the same thing to be to be that close and friendly. But I, I, I just I just think he's been a huge addition to um, to English language commentary over here in the last decade and a half. So uh, I would say he's 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 one of my favorites. What makes a good one? Well, it's, it's like. I don't know. I mean, there's so many different flavors of commentary. It's like it's like music. I mean, what what makes good music? It's like everyone has a different idea. Everyone has a different um, flavor that they like. Um, my my, the one thing I would say is I just feel like good commentary is 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 finding the right balance of 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 being there, of being the, being the soundtrack to the game, um, informing, entertaining. Just adding, adding to the overall experience, but 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 always remembering that you are not the show, um, and I think that's 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 the boundary and this and the, and the sort of demarcation I always 
you know, look for in, in commentaries. Like, are you, are you trying to do too much? Um, because it's a, it's an inexact science, but I, I do think you have to always be, you know, conscious of, of the fact that you are, you are not there to be the, to be the show. You're very much the accompaniment. You're, you're the, uh, you're the pianist to the school choir. That's always what the, the, the sort of, I've never come up with a better, better sort of, um, allegory than that you're, you're the pianist people are there to see the school choir it doesn't it doesn't kind of sound the same or, or work the same without you but you're not the you're not the uh you're not the attraction you're not the reason people are there so um All right so that's the kind of baseline i've always i've always worked from um but you also have to have a very thick skin because you're never going to be everyone's cup of tea ever whoever the commentator is it's never universal that everyone likes them or everyone doesn't like them. Everyone has their own taste, so it's a. Uh, that... that was a long, waffly answer, wasn't it? <laughs> it was good, though. It was good. I liked it. <laughs> so we are not at all professionals, and so every week we say things and then regret them coming out of our mouths. <laughs> how how often does that happen for you? And do do you have like a an all time most embarrassing moment that maybe you could share with us with something that something that came out in the heat of the moment? Well. There's always, I mean, whenever you look back at your own work, it's it's always a little bit, not cringeworthy, but there's always things you realize afterwards. That, oh, yeah, that would have been a perfect thing to say in that in that, in that scenario. So there's always, yeah, in, in a way, that's kind of part of the process of of learning, you know, trying to be better is, is kind of, like, well, what, what could I have said there? What, what should I have said instead of what I did say, which was kind of lame? Um, not too many big. What what what? I'm always <laughs> people always bring this one moment up in terms of huge gaps. Well, there was a couple. There's, there's a couple that I actually can't repeat because um, they're they're totally X-rated. They, they were totally slipped <laughs> at the time. But um, but the one that I can repeat, which I'm all, which I always get, um, which I always get reminded about, um, was was just a totally innocent mistake. It was a, it was a classic. Uh, didn't realize there was another meaning to this phrase. Uh, and it may have been a transatlantic thing that got lost in, but I was doing a big, it was, it was a Euro European championship. It was doing a big, um, Netherlands against France game. Um, and the Netherlands had totally put a beat down on France and, and they were three, one up. And then they scored again in the, in the 90th minute to make it four, one. And I had this line in the back of my mind that I kind of had been throwing around saying, if France were going to lose really badly, I was going to say the French, the French were toast. Um, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and I, so, but then in the spur of the moment, I added to it. And I, and as that fourth goal went in for Poland, I said, it's a Dutch oven and the French are toast. And I had no, <laughs> I had zero idea at that stage that there was another meaning to a Dutch oven. And then I got all these sort of, uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Coming in uh, with with sort of wide grins on their face, like, do you realize what you just said? I'm like, what? No, I, you know, it's kind of spur of the moment thing. So, so anyway, um, that, that <laughs> caused a lot of um, mirth, I think, I, in the in the in the I appreciate the ambition, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I always get reminded about that. Oh, Dutch oven, yeah. <laughs> so you talk about finding the balance of like how much to add yourself into the the product whenever it comes to like what you're actually saying where do you find the balance of having 
having things prepared to say, like stats or or anecdotes or whatever that is prepared to say as as opposed to reacting to that moment? Like where do you where do you try to strike that balance? Mm. Really, really good question, Landon. That's that's a balance and a, and, a, and a dynamic and a tension that is constantly tugging at every at every commentator. And any commentator that says it isn't is lying because it's because uh, it is all about preparation. I mean, that's that's 80, 90 percent of the job. Um, but you brought up two different areas of prep, really. There, I mean, the stats and and the numbers and the storylines. Those are something you would you would prep for and have ready to go for for any broadcast, and you you wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't. Um, I think what you're driving at more is is just kind of the the sort of more guttural reactions, the the, the sort of uh, the color. Um, do you prepare any lines? Well, I do. I prepare. I I, I kind of think about um, scenarios uh, that might unfold, and we've all seen enough of the game. You, you know. The sort of scenarios that might unfold are, are obvious. What, what are you going to say if so-and-so scores? What are you going to say, say if the team's losing badly? So you, you think about different ways of describing um, events that are actually quite common in our game. Um, and I wouldn't say I prepare straightforward lines, but you think about you, you think about different ways you might describe certain things and certain events and certain stages of the game. So um, I do often write a little bit just to, just to get us going. I like to have a little line or two to say, right at kickoff, which I, I think is an important moment in the game because uh, it just kind of establishes and sets the scene and, and sets the, sets the stage for what we're, for the drama we're about to see unfold. So I do like to have something ready to go. Sometimes at kickoff, sometimes there's some commercial obligations, which prevent you from saying that. <laughs> yes. but, um, but yeah, no, so it's, it is, it's always a dance, Landon, uh, between, between sort of instinctive guttural reactions and, um, and, and kind of lines that you think, um, or descriptions or words that you think are appropriate. And I'm always kind of trying to find new ways of describing the same things because, you know, there is a lot of repetition. You see the same scenario. So it is a challenge to kind of uh, to uh, to use the English language uh, to its fullest. We uh, This isn't a question we had prepared, but I just remembered another one I wanted to ask you. On those, uh, like, usually come out the day a day or two before a game and there'll be kind of like a cinematic preview of the game with your voice over the top yes. of it do you write your own copy for that or is that more of a team effort that that you're working with other folks to get that right the the narratives uh that are uh, yeah so we run them um the day before the game and also at the at the, at the start of each broadcast before the pre-game show and the show um i would love to claim that uh our friend Sebastian Drusi writes those because I mean, God, he can do everything else, can't he? <laughs> or write those, um, but no, I do. I do write them. I, I actually enjoy writing. Uh, you know, even though I've never been a written journalist, I, I, I do enjoy and do, do enjoy the the sort of art of writing, especially when it's in a creative way like that. So that is a challenge actually to come up with a sort of succinct thirty second sort of uh, prelude to what we're about to see but I but I really enjoy doing that so yeah I write them and then and then voice them so well, you do, you do a great you, job on them yeah and you can tell <laughs> you can tell a lot of work goes into it because you could that's the thing it's short and it's like 
mostly people are paying attention to the video anyway. So like I, yeah. I could see someone not really putting that much effort into it, but I can tell like each one is, it's like a different thing and you try to put a theme into it and it's, it's a, it's usually well, like always a really well-written thing. And it, it is a great team collaboration because you, you mentioned it. I mean, the, our video team is, I don't know if Austin fans realize it fully, but, but our video team is the best in the league and oh, by absolutely. a long shot. And so I give them, I give them that voice um, piece and they construct the video around it. And, and they always do an amazing job. They're just, uh, they're just incredibly talented. So uh, we're like, I was, we're like, yeah, I was curious about that as well. Cause a lot of times like, like uh, video cuts will queue up to words that you're saying. And I, I was also thinking about what that, like, which, which is first. And so that's, that's cool that they, right. you give them your, your commentary and they just cut the video around it. Well, yeah. And it can, it can work both ways. I mean, I used to do these at, at, at ESPN where I, I would actually get the video for, yeah, they'd say they wouldn't do them for every game, but they do them for big games and they'd say, Oh, we're going to do a, we're going to lead in narrative. This is this is the video. What can you write around it? So it is possible to do it both ways, but I prefer kind of starting with a with a blank page, you know. So yeah, it seems like it seems like a good way to tell a story. Well, you kind of gotten into this a little bit, but as consumption patterns have changed, right? And we do things like people need short clips they can consume on social media, online, and things like that. Like, how has that changed, sort of, the craft of broadcasting over the last few years? Um. It's it's interesting. I don't think it's changed. I don't think it's changed the art of commentary. I don't think the art of commentary is still what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, it, it, it's still the game. What what it has done is meant that if you want to be in broadcasting, you you have to be you have to more strings to your bow. You have to be more flexible. You have to be be wanting to do different things, which simply didn't exist a few years ago. I mean, things like Twitter Spaces and. And all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, you have to be more versatile. You have to be ready to kind of um, do do almost anything in the in the streaming world. It's now not just about the sort of ninety minutes um, covering the game or your team. It's uh, a lot of a lot of other stuff. So uh, you know, I always was a commentator first, and kind of everything else second, and that, and that still is my strength i believe but but i've had to and this started years and years ago really i mean espn were at the forefront of doing sort of uh studio stuff so becoming becoming more of a more of a host as well which is a very different skill uh, and then just being comfortable doing short clips on camera as well um so i think nowadays anyone getting into the the game knows full well that you have to have all those all those skill sets and, and, and you know, the more flexible and versatile you are, the, the, the better it is for your, for your prospects. So talking about broadcasting, uh, MLS just recently signed a new deal with Apple TV, which is going to be essentially the next 10 years of, of MLS broadcasts. And we know there's still a lot we don't know about this, including who's going to be doing these calls, but we wanted to get your <laughs> thoughts on this deal as, as a, an industry veteran as to what this deal means for MLS and what opportunities this deal prevents to the league. Well, overall, uh, Landon and Jeremiah, I have to say I'm hugely, hugely positive on it. I think, uh, I think it's uh, a massive step. I think, I think the scope of the deal tells you um, the, the ambition involved 10 years. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's a move made with 
2026 and the World Cup coming here in mind. Uh, I, I think it may be, I don't think everything's going to change overnight. Um, I think uh, that, you know, it's going to take a while for the league to get where they want it to. They have this vision of what they want it to be, which is kind of a central, almost like an NFL network type um situation for MLS so like a central a central hub and everything emanating for that and all this content but but I do think and they've already said this I do think um there's still going to be a lot of local elements to it and they've they've said that that will remain to be very important and it should be um you know we got we'll, we'll have 30 teams in the in the league by then and there's there's a lot of stuff will get missed if um, if there's not a local element so so I'm hugely I'm hugely encouraged by it uh, in terms of growing the league and the overall perspective. I also remain very optimistic that most of us who are involved on a local level will continue to be. Um, and <laughs> I know it's a very sort of uh, prosaic answer, but I just, you know, people, people are asking me, are you worried? Are you and Michael worried? Um, worried is not the right word. I mean, I'm, I'm, interested i'm i'm actually enthusiastic um I, I i strongly believe that there will still be um there will still be some major involvement by us and 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 and, and, and here in austin and put it this way we i'm i love it here i don't want to leave austin uh, i will do everything i can with power to to um to make whatever this next setup is work um and the club have already been very good about sort of saying yeah they want to try and make it but the, the, you know there's so many questions in terms of the actual sort of practicalities and i don't think for instance i don't think that you know by next march the start of the 2023 season i don't think there's i think there's a zero percent chance the league are totally ready to go with this brand new facility and everything's going to be coming from a central position i think it's actually going to take a long slow climb to get to that point so there's a there's a scenario where we not much might change next year except the delivery method it's going to be on apple tv rather than um rather than kxan um which you know i will i will miss kxan they've been great they've been great partners for us but i i do think um i do think it's exciting i, I you know there's certain certainly many things about the deal that that make me believe that they're, they're, they're doing it right there's for instance, it's going to be a lot more cameras covering each game. Uh, we have about eight cameras covering local broadcasts. Uh, part of this Apple deal is making it almost doubling that, making it a minimum of 14 or 15, so making it much closer to the sort of coverage you would see you know, at a, at a top European league or a Champions League. Uh, not quite to that level, but, but a big step in the right direction. So... I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of benefits to it. The new Leagues Cup thing starting next summer is going to be a big part of that deal. I'm very excited about that. I think that could be a tremendous, tremendous competition between all the MLS clubs and Liga MX clubs. So, so talking about the extra cameras, I I think that's good for viewers, but I would imagine for you, like someone who calls games remotely, having more cameras could only be a good thing as well because – a lot of times you guys are limited to what you're seeing. Like you're essentially seeing the same thing we are. And so I can imagine having more angles on certain things would help you as a broadcaster as well. Well, sure. Absolutely. And and you're so correct. We, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. We don't, we don't see anything different to the, to the viewer uh, on, on, you know, on road games where we're not there in the stadium when we're calling from any sort of studio setup. Yeah. We, all we get is the, is the main the main match feed? So, yeah, you want that main match feed to be as as all encompassing as you can for sure. And uh, 
And more cameras just means better, better, better production, better shots, better angles, um, tighter angles, more more shots of the coach. We'll see much more of Josh in his birthday shirt. And, um, so uh, and better, better replays, better, better angles on on um, controversial decisions on VAR and replays. So so yeah, that's a that's a that's a huge positive. When when doing those remote games, I've always thought that maybe it would be useful to have like one wide angle that is available to you at all times has that ever been anything that's been provided to you and do you, would that even be helpful it would be really helpful it has not been provided um it would be even more helpful for uh, the analysts so michael and my and my in our broadcast would, would benefit even more i've always said that i can do the play-by-play job and i've done you know in the course of my career i've done thousands of games off a month i've done way more games off months than i have done in person it's just been the, it's just the nature of the business and it's increasingly going that way and i've always said play-by-play guy can do the job probably 90 percent effectively um off, off off the monitor um it's harder for the analysts because they really need to see the whole field to be able to accurately um to talk about some of the, some of the tactical stuff going on and what you see off the ball when you don't, what you don't necessarily see on that main that main camera shot. So yes, it would be would be hugely beneficial to have that. Um, so thanks for suggesting it, Landon. If uh, <laughs> yeah, pa- pass if the, the Apple the producer is out there listening, <laughs> there you go. Idea number one. <laughs> All right, so we've we've talked. You've adopted Austin. We've adopted you. You and you said you have a son now that's officially an Austinite. So we're going to get into like some. Uh, I don't know if it's exactly lightning around, but let's let's ask you about the sort of the city, um, and the club. And I guess and th- these are provided feel- by by listeners, mind you. Yeah, these are all listener. Qu- oh yeah, so if you hate on their listener questions, <laughs> if you like them, if you like them, we came up with them. No, they're all listener questions. <laughs> um, how much uh, how much of this community content do you see? There's a bunch of. There's us, the there's other podcasts, there's people making videos, there's a ton of uh, folks out doing work. Like, how much of that do you see? And we feel like there's a lot in Austin compared to the rest of the league. Like, what's your perspective on that? Yes, there is. There is. We are. I don't make no. I mean, it, it's hard sometimes when you're actually in it, isn't it? It's almost like the the boiling frog syndrome. It's like when you're in it, you don't kind of get to step back and see the the big picture. But let me tell you, this, this city is, is something special in terms of how the community get involved. Um, Yeah. I, it's, it's right up there, right up there. If it's not number one, I don't, I don't know who is quite frankly. Uh, I've never seen anything like it uh, from, from the stuff you guys do and, and our own, our own four ATX foundation, that, that side of the community, um, side of the operation is 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 fantastic uh, and just the just the um the groundswell of uh, of stuff going on and i do see a lot of it i see, I see i'm sure the stuff i miss but I, I go out of my way to uh to uh to try and keep tabs on what everyone's doing but there's so much stuff there really is it's it's amazing and austin is a soccer city i think that 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 uh, that phrase is is dead right um I have to give shout out to you guys because I always make sure to listen to you. Um, normally, when I'm on the elliptical machine on a, on, a, on, a, <laughs> on a Tuesday, trying to trying to sweat it off, you you you're a good you're a good soundtrack to that to that pain. So um, so that's great. Pre- pre- appreciate what you guys do. Well, we're not getting in any better shape doing this, so I'm glad somebody <laughs> is. Um, Adrian, you're English, but you've been in the U.S. for quite a while now. Are you a tea or a coffee man? And for either of those, do you have a favorite spot in town? 
the short answer is both. I'm very much both tea and coffee. Um, has to be tea first. Can't do anything in the morning without um, at least one mug and, and more normally two mugs of tea. But then I'll then I'll move on to coffee. Um, but uh, well, actually, you know what? I never really. I'm, I'm kind of old school. I never really get tea out anyway because tea kind of varies, and I, I'm just very much down the middle, like the English breakfast tea. But but coffee's fantastic. I my local got to give a shout out to my local coffee house because I I've not come across better coffee anywhere, and that's the Cherrywood Coffee House uh, right oh, there on yeah. on Thirty Eighth. I love that spot, and that to me is just such a such a great classic Austin spot. Uh, it's yeah, love the fact that it's you can get your morning coffee there. You can go back at night and have have a beer and, and get a dinner and see some comedy or some music. And it's got outside, it's got inside. But the coffee there is is tremendous. I love uh, it's a, it's 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 about a fifteen minute walk. I live up in Mueller, so it's just uh, just a scoop down. But um, but that's big shout out to them. I love their I love their local coffee. So so you you have a background as a radio DJ, and when you were doing that. What type of music did you play, and was it the type of music that you preferred? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to be in Boston in the early 90s as I got into radio, and, and that was a very sort of um, a, a, a great era for music. It was basically when when sort of alternative rock became sort of acceptable to the to the mainstream, so maybe, so yeah, maybe some people have some some regrets about that. But it was a fantastic <laughs> era to be uh, to be on the radio. I mean, yeah, it was it was yeah. I, I worked for a heritage station called WFNX, which um, was one hundred one point seven up there, and they they we played every, I mean everything from the mainstream kind of Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Dinosaur Junior, sort of uh, access to you know. Oasis and all the Brit rock stuff that came along, and then actually some 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 uh, stuff like the Prodigy and Chemical Brothers and Moby, some stuff with Beats as well, which I really got into pretty heavily as well in the in the late nineties. Actually, right. ended up doing it. Actually, ended up doing a late night show um, called Chill, which was like all the sort of ambient ambient dance music that people would listen to <laughs> after they came out of the club. And I was on from 2 a.m. till 4 a.m. But I loved that that type of music too. So played a lot of that in the in the in the late 90s. Um and what I, what I like to listen to is just all over the shop. It really is. I mean, you know, um I guess they always say you're closest to the music you grew up with when you were in your mid-20s. So you know for me that's that's uh, a lot of you know Clash and Bowie and and uh, my favorite band of all time, I have to tell you, is a, is a band called the Chameleons UK, who are who are late eighties. Oh, I don't know them. Chameleons, oh, fantastic! Actually, their their singer, uh, a guy called Mark Burgess, played at uh, South by Southwest in, in March, and uh, it was great to be able to uh, reconnect with him. We played at um, St David's Bethel Hall, which <laughs> was a classic South by Southwest venue up. Uh, it's just off of Eighth Street somewhere. It's a church, but he they have like a, a room up on the third floor and like an acoustic set up there. It was really, uh, it was classic. It was classic Austin to see him in that in that scenario. But um, but yeah, so all over the place. Still try and go and see quite a lot of live. I would say a lot of live music, but we pick our spots. Um, love 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 what this uh, love what this city offers in in, in terms of music. Um, 
I went actually I recently connected with a um you you know the LA punk band X. Yeah. Do, do you remember them at all? Yeah. So they're yeah. leading a they're leading a John Doe lives in Austin. He lives he's and he's a huge I did not know that. He's a huge soccer fan. He lives up he lives up near the stadium actually and I'm trying to get him to a game. He, he yeah. He's a big Spurs fan, but I'm like come 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 see Austin. He loves what he's seen. So uh yeah. So there's there's always a music um soccer crossover. Man, it's, we're it's Adrian, we're going to have to get together and just talk music sometime. Jer- Jeremiah totally. and I both have have musical backgrounds. I I played out in bands for most of my life and Jeremiah partied with rock stars when he was younger. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in bars. I was going to ask what my musical connection was. Yeah. Well, I'd love, uh, to, I'd love to get in with the folks at KUTX. I know, uh, I know, uh, Diego has done uh, a set over there, isn't he? And uh, I'm, I always listen to them. Uh, them or ACL Radio are always on on in my car. So, uh, so talking about a different kind of music, do you have a favorite song or chant from La Murga? Oh yes, absolutely. I have, I have a clear favorite, and it's. Uh, Makala la la la. All of my friends are up. Makala la la la. I I love it. I that's love a controversial it. one too. So that's that's a bold <laughs> statement there. We have yes. a record of being scored on during that game, and so a lot of people have had calls to ban it. Really? Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize. Yeah, it's that. a. Yeah, if you yeah, you must be smart enough to stay off the Reddit, uh, Austin <laughs> FC group, and the Facebook group because those are both places where there's a lot of criticism of that but yeah it's a super it's a there's the lights and you know the fans all get into it i like that one a lot and it's an original one one. too so no other teams are doing that one no it's great it's absolutely great to me that's like it's perfect builds in builds in you know where where the stadium is and it's it's a tune that everyone knows uh but but yeah you're right i have not heard that anywhere else in the world i think that's a mateo clark um creation right. there so he deserves credit for getting that one started yeah nice one mateo all right last last couple of questions here do you have a favorite breakfast taco in town oh gosh um well again it's probably probably very geographically influenced but my my closest um li- living where i do we've got the vera cruz taco truck across oh, the man. way there Can't just that's a, that's a great one yeah and and i love the um I love the El Sancho, the chorizo um, taco that they do, and then and then the uh, the migas poblanas as well. Oh, yeah, uh, those, those are those are those are two excellent ones. I think I've been spoiled because we can just walk across there in five minutes and, and get one. So, yeah, that would be the favorite. Okay, I'm going to ask you. This is another fan question. Have you seen the guys in the speedos? Uh, leading the cheers, and do you feel like that's something that we should encourage and spread throughout the supporters section? I've heard more and more talk about Speedo FC, and I'm still not quite sure what uh, what it's what it's in reference to. So, no, I don't think I've seen this close up. Maybe I shouldn't see it close up. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what is going on with that? Tell, tell me. I think that came. I think it first came out of the Miami game, where we just, uh, there's a couple at least a couple of guys who decided that, you know, in honor of playing Miami, that like we're in a speedo is sort of the natural thing to do there. And it's sort of caught on. And I know uh, Rico Hernandez, I think he has lights on his now um, that sort of outline them. So it's just, they keep popping up. I think uh, Andrew Weeby may have even tweeted uh, like a screen grab from uh, oh, nice. one of the games of, of Rico and a speedo. So yeah, this is a Rico question to see if you were aware of the speedo group and, and how I, you felt about it. I've been aware and I've been aware of speedo FC being a thing. I didn't know if it had actually become a fully fledged, uh, 
team or outfit yet, but uh, but but it's good to know that that's that's where it originated. Yeah, I think it's it's continued to exist mainly as like a subset of the <clears throat> of the capos in the supporter section who right. do it partly to express their their love of Austin FC, but also partly to maybe troll the more conservative sets of fan bases in MLS. <laughs> Well, they're doing an excellent job of that. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've taken enough of your time, Adrian. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, this has been great. And do you have any parting words for us? Any any predictions or hopes for the rest of the season? You know, the predicting game is a mugs game, and I, I, I've learned to stay <laughs> well away from it. Um, My man. But 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 no. Look, I, I will say this. I think I think. Uh, I think we should all I think we should all take a step back and appreciate what however this season ends it's been fantastic and and, and sometimes it's tough to see it when you're in the middle of it and, and and you kind of start to take it for granted but but what this club has done, has done in, in in year 2 is is almost unprecedented and that sounds like hyperbole but it but it really isn't when you look back at the history of recent expansion teams in 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 MLS it's very hard for clubs that have made a bad start in year one to rectify it quickly. Um, almost impossible. It's almost unheard of. You think of the teams that have done well, LAFC, Atlanta, Nashville, they all made a great start in year one, and they just kind of built on that in year two. It's very, very hard. You think Minnesota, you think Orlando, um, Cincinnati, uh, Miami. It's very hard for teams who have kind of got off on – not the wrong foot, but a but a but a downside to 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 rectify it that quickly, and that's exactly what we have done, and 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 we've done it down a DP. We've done it, um, you know, with with not the sort of level of incoming signings that you might think a, a club would have to make. We haven't, we you know, I, I think what we've achieved on the pitch, we we should really take a step back and, and celebrate, no matter how it ends from this point in. I mean, we could we could. Go on a on a nosedive. Anything's possible in, in MLS, but I really think to get to this point where we are um, has been has been really something special, and, and it's it's something that is very hard to do in this league. So uh, I, I just hope everyone appreciates the context of what they're seeing here, which is uh, which is uh, you know, kind of a groundbreaking season two up until the first two thirds of it have been anyway. So let's hope the final final third is the same. We all want that. Yeah, right, but, we but couldn't agree good. more, and uh, we definitely believe that making a show about a good team is a lot more fun than making a show about a bad team. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, amen to that. Same, same with commentating. It's uh, it's it's a whole much whole lot more enjoyable and fun. Isn't it? Yeah, a lot more goal calls this year. <laughs> yes. All right, well, Adrian, thanks so much for doing this. This has been a, a true pleasure, as it is every time we get to chat with you. So, thanks for doing this. Hey. Keep up the great work, guys, and, and I mean it. You're always a you're always a always a great listen, uh, and and love what love what you do. Talk right, we'll to you see soon. You, we'll see you on the treadmill. Yes. <laughs> All right, we would like to thank Adrian Healy one more time. Great guy, uh, a lot of fun talking to him. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime soon. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And we are at Moon Tower Soccer on both Twitter and Instagram. 
sign up for the Patreon. Uh, you can get cool swag, mm, send in some questions, help us, uh, give us input on how, how we make this show. And then we'd like to encourage you to visit the striker where you can get a 30% discount with the code moon tower 22. That's with a capital M Jeremiah, what should folks look out for on the striker this week? I don't have like a particular article that stood out this week other than the fact that there were two, there was two game articles that Chris Bills wrote about an Austin FC match. And I just think that shows, um, the depth of coverage is you get the striker Texas and you don't get anywhere else. I was asking a friend of mine was asking me where to like keep up with the latest Austin FC news. And I was like, the striker basically publishes more than every other outlet put together. Um, and this, the fact that we had, you know, two, two post game reviews for this Kansas city match, I thought was a pretty good uh, summary of the type of covers that you can get from the striker. And now that uh, they're letting media into the locker rooms and getting a bit more exclusive access with players, with coaches, with with team staff. Chris Bills and Phil West really are getting information that nobody else is getting on this team. And so it, yeah, it it's it's the best place that you can that you can find to get information about this team and access that nobody else is really getting at the moment. So um yeah, couldn't recommend it any higher. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the San Jose match. We'll preview Sporting KC's return trip to Austin. And we'll also talk a little bit about the All-Star Game and All-Star Skills Challenge featuring Sebastian Drusi. And we'll cover any other Austin FC news that comes up. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God.